Hey, future doctors. Thanks for joining me on Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Rhea Mulherker. I'm currently a radiation oncology resident in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I will be your host today. It has been quite a while since I've hosted an episode myself, and I know that our podcast hasn't always been able to keep up with releasing weekly episodes. But despite that, in the last several months, we have gained quite a few new listeners, and the positive feedback for this podcast keeps on rolling in. So I want to just thank you guys so much, um, those of you who continue to follow with Spoonful of Sugar, despite some of our lapses in releasing episodes. Um, you know, thank you for, for sticking with us and hanging in there for that, um, for that content. And if you guys are new listeners, then I want to welcome you. Um, you know, welcome to the podcast. I hope that you've had a chance to listen to some episodes and hopefully gain something out of it. Since this is my first time hosting in quite a long time, I kind of wanted to reintroduce myself and some of the goals with the podcast, Spoonful of Sugar. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Rhea Mulherker and I graduated from Drexel University College of Medicine um, back in 2020. I actually started this podcast um, as a medical student in 2019 as a way to review important concepts tested on USMLE exams in a format that was convenient. Um, you know, these podcasts are meant to be reviews that you can listen to while walking your dog or driving somewhere, folding laundry, cooking dinner. Um, you know, in case, like me, sometimes you feel guilty when you're not studying and doing basic life necessities. We really shouldn't feel guilty about that, but this is now a way to kind of help make that time a little bit more productive if you feel like you need to. When I launched Spoonful of Sugar, I always intended to create a community of medical students who could really help each other learn and review. And it's been incredible. Since 2019, we have had over 15 new medical students join our team and record new episodes. And we have actually had listeners in over 100 different countries. Um, so thank you guys so much for helping to build this community. And I really hope that you guys um, can be dedicated to help keep it going. Um, you know, I always knew that one day all that step one level knowledge would eventually leave my brain. And now that I am a third, almost fourth year resident actually in radiation oncology, I am sad to say that that day has come. And so this is why I want to encourage current third and fourth year medical students who have taken the USMLE step one exam to become involved with Spoonful of Sugar. Students, you're always welcome to reach out to us via social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or through our website at spoonfulofsugar.org through the contacts page. If you're interested in becoming involved and recording a review episode in a topic of your interest, just reach out to us and we can make it happen. In the meantime, though, you know, while I cannot necessarily give you guys that high level of step one level knowledge as I once used to be able to, I am interested in continuing to offer help and education to medical students in any way that I can. And as I continue to progress through the relatively niche field of radiation oncology, I am realizing that there is a lot of room to improve education about this field at the level of medical students. And so that's why in today's episode, what I'd like to do is kind of discuss some things with you that I think every single medical student should understand about radiation oncology. Um, believe it or not, the things that I plan to cover in this episode are things that a lot of my own peers in different residency programs or even attendings in different specialties don't necessarily understand. 
And that's because medical schools don't often provide that kind of education on radiation oncology. So while today's episode may not be extremely high yield in terms of USMLE board questions, I definitely do think that it'll be valuable to you no matter which specialty you go into. So even if you're not planning on pursuing medical or surgical oncology, I guarantee that at some point in your careers, you are bound to take care of a patient who is getting radiation treatments. Just briefly, uh, the things that I plan to review with this episode are number one, what even is radiation oncology? What is radiation therapy and how does it work? Who gets radiation? How do the radiation treatment logistics work? And what are some commonly asked questions and concerns about radiation therapy that patients have? And lastly, for patients, I mean, sorry, for students who might be interested in uh, learning a little bit more about our specialty, I'll just briefly talk about what it is like to be a radiation oncologist and why you should at least consider um, rotating through that specialty. So let me start then with the first question. What is radiation oncology? Radiation oncology, or RADONC as you'll hear it called, is a field of medicine that uses radiation therapy to treat cancer in both curative and palliative settings. And we also actually treat some benign conditions. Usually our department is located in the basement of the hospital since our machines are radioactive when they're in use and so they require, um, you know, really thick concrete walls for shielding. Um, So if you're ever curious, you know, venture down to the basement of your hospital and you'll probably run into a radonk. We are very frequently confused for radiologists, actually, so don't feel bad if you've done this before. But let's clarify. Radiologists are physicians that obtain and interpret diagnostic scans, such as x-rays, CT scans, and MRIs. Um, You might also hear about interventional radiologists who actually use those scans to visualize things and sometimes perform an intervention, such as an embolization of an artery seen on an angiogram. Radiation oncologists, however, are totally different. We do work with images a lot, but we do not specialize in reading and interpreting images. We actually use images, most often CT scans, to design radiation treatment plans for our patient. I cannot tell you how many times I've been paged while on call um, thinking that I'm a radiologist rather than a radiation oncologist. And I have to let, you know, the team know that the operator paged the wrong person and that they're actually looking for a radiology resident. Bottom line is, radiology and radiation oncology are two totally separate things. So if you understand that difference now, you're probably one step ahead of most of the population. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably would like to deeply understand a subject before you can explain it in simple terms to patients. And so you might be extremely curious about what exactly is radiation therapy and how in the world does it work. If you can think back to your physics classes from high school and college, you may remember some words like photons, neutrons, protons, electrons. You might even remember something known as the electromagnetic spectrum. I bet for most of you that knowledge is buried somewhere pretty deep within your brain, but these are words that radiation oncologists actually deal with every single day. I know it sounds intimidating, but once you get past that initial shock of dealing with physics concepts, it's actually super cool and not terribly hard to understand. So first, recall the basic structure of an atom. 
It's a proton and neutron nucleus with electrons arranged in concentric shells around the nucleus. Everything in the world is made up of atoms, including our bodies. So radiation is basically energy that affects our bodies at the atomic level. Sometimes when energy hits our bodies, it causes excitation of the electrons in our atoms. That means that the electrons jump to a higher energy outer shell, but they are still retained within the atom. If radiation has high enough energy when it hits our bodies, it can actually cause ionization of the electrons in our atoms. That means that the electrons get so much energy, they totally leave the orbit of the atom, and they're no longer retained inside of a shell. They're then free-moving particles that could either interact with the DNA directly themselves, causing DNA damage, or they can interact with all the water molecules floating around in our body, creating hydroxyl-free radicals that go on to cause DNA damage. So in a nutshell, the kind of radiation that we talk about when we're talking about radiation therapy is ionizing radiation that causes DNA damage at the cellular level. Now, if you've studied your chemotherapy drugs, you'll realize that radiation is basically doing the exact same thing that chemotherapy does, only the effects of radiation are local, so wherever we target our radiation beam, whereas the effects of chemotherapy are systemic. Now, there are two main kinds of radiation, electromagnetic radiation and particulate radiation. Electromagnetic radiation refers to the high energy end of that same electromagnetic spectrum that has microwaves and UV rays on it. At that very high energy end, we have X-rays and gamma rays, which are considered ionizing radiation. Both X-rays and gamma rays are referred to as photons. The only difference between them is that X-rays are produced outside the nucleus, whereas gamma rays are produced inside the nucleus as radioactive isotopes naturally decay. Either way, though, photons are basically just massless packets of energy that can hit an atom and cause ionization. Most of the time when we talk about giving radiation treatment, we're talking about using a big X-ray machine called a linear accelerator, or LINAC for short, that delivers x-rays to the tumor. So just as a patient might lay on a table and get an x-ray scan, we just use higher energy x-rays and actually treat at therapeutic levels. But in the same fashion as an x-ray scan, we can shine our x-ray beam on the area that we want to treat and turn on the machine. So to summarize, remember that x-rays are a type of photon therapy and photon therapy really makes up probably most of the radiation that we use in the radiation department. That said, the other kind of radiation, which is particulate radiation, can also come in handy sometimes. Particulate radiation actually just refers to particles with a mass that might be used to cause that same kind of ionization event within the atoms in our bodies. So what kind of particles do we use? We might use electrons or protons, for example. Electrons actually have a very, very low mass, so they don't travel very deep into a tissue. They're quite effective at treating things superficially, and they're often used to treat skin cancers. Protons, on the other hand, are about 2,000 times as heavy as electrons, and they can actually penetrate a lot deeper. Unlike x-rays, though, they tend to have less of an exit dose, 
And so they are often the preferred modality in pediatric patients because they help to better spare radiation from getting to the normal critical structures that are around a target area. Now, most of the time, radiation is delivered externally through a machine. When we talk about delivering photons, electrons, protons, these are all treatments that patients, you know, lay flat on a table and an x-ray machine or, you know, an elect- the, machine, the same machine that delivers x-rays can deliver electrons. Um, they're laying on a table and the machine is externally delivering the treatment. However, in some unique situations, we can actually deliver internal radiation where we place a radioactive source very close to the treatment area of interest. And this form of radiation is called brachytherapy. A prime example of a disease site where we utilize brachytherapy is the treatment of gynecologic cancers, such as endometrial cancer and cervical cancer. In brachytherapy, an applicator is placed inside of a patient. And so in the case of gynecologic brachytherapy, an applicator is placed into the uterus or a vagina. And then the radioactive isotope is wired into that applicator and the treatments last maybe 5 to 10 minutes. But this time we're actually delivering a radioactive seed via the applicator to deliver the treatment. I'm going to take a pause there because I know that that was a lot of information to digest. The bottom line is there are different ways of delivering radiation, either electromagnetic radiation or particulate radiation. The radiation treatments themselves can be delivered either externally using a machine such as a linear accelerator, or they can be delivered internally the way I described with brachytherapy. Either way, the mechanism by which radiation is killing cancer cells is an interaction with atoms that results in ionization of electrons. When these electrons are released inside of our bodies, they can either directly damage the DNA inside of the cells, or more commonly, they actually cause indirect damage by first reacting with water to create hydroxyl radicals that then go on to damage the DNA. If you think about it, what we're doing with radiation is very, very similar to chemotherapy. The end result is DNA damage. So you can imagine then that just like with chemo, the cells that are rapidly turning over and replicating their DNA are the cells that are going to be most selectively affected by the radiation. So this includes cancer cells but it also includes things like skin cells, hair follicles, the cells lining the GI tract, and these are the cells that are most heavily affected by the radiation. Unlike chemotherapy though, which is typically delivered systemically, either in the oral or IV form, radiation generally has an effect locally. I'm not saying we never do whole body irradiation, but whole body irradiation is pretty toxic. So if we're trying to treat a cancer, for example, we will typically try to target the radiation to local targets. So that brings me then to my next point. Who actually gets radiation and when is it actually used? Radiation has some pretty broad uses. Um, As I mentioned before, it can sometimes be used to treat benign conditions such as trigeminal neuralgia, treatment of keloids, or prophylaxis of heterotopic ossification after a traumatic injury or surgery. 
but most of the time we're actually treating cancer patients and hence the name radiation oncology. Now, cancer treatment is pretty challenging on its own. Each disease site, so every different type of cancer, whether it's breast, lung, prostate, you name it, each cancer has its own staging system and its own treatment paradigm. If you're interested in learning more about how the different types of cancer are staged and what their treatment algorithms are, I would recommend making a free account at nccn.org. That's the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. Um, so that you can easily look up the staging and treatment algorithms for different cancers. Um, but the bottom line is, depending on the stage, our goal with cancer treatment may be to cure the cancer or it may be palliative. Usually, um, when cancer has spread to other organs outside of the original area where it started, it's considered a stage 4 cancer because it's metastatic, meaning it has spread outside of where it started. And metastatic cancers are not considered curable. So in these cases, if we do offer any kind of radiation, it's typically palliative radiation treatments. And our goal with these treatments is to help decrease symptoms such as pain, bleeding, or obstruction. Radiation oncology is sometimes used in emergent settings such as spinal cord compression, brain metastases, bleeding, and SVC syndrome. When it comes to curative situations, though, again, each cancer has its own treatment paradigm. And depending on the cancer, um, it could be treated with surgery alone, radiation alone, or sometimes a combination of chemo, surgery, and radiation. A great example of a cancer where we use all three modalities is glioblastoma, which is a high-grade brain tumor that's the most common primary central nervous system tumor in adults. It's actually quite refractory to many treatments and it's hard to control. So we treat it with everything that we have in our toolbox. First, we do maximal safe surgical resection of the brain tumor. Then we use a combination of concurrent chemotherapy and radiation. And this is typically followed with additional maintenance chemotherapy. Breast cancer treatment also involves upfront surgery Usually it's a lumpectomy if the cancer is localized to the breast. And then we follow this with radiation therapy. And sometimes we also add in chemotherapy or hormone therapy, depending on the um, hormone markers and um, HER2 expression. Prostate cancer, on the other hand, unlike you know breast and glioblastoma, which typically involve a combination of surgery and radiation, Prostate cancer can actually be treated curatively with either surgery alone or radiation alone, or sometimes radiation plus hormone therapy, just depending on um, the stage once again. So as you can see, different cancers are managed very differently depending on their biology and their natural history. And so this is really a decision between um, you know, the different disciplines. So we often have multidisciplinary tumor boards where we consult with surgery, medical oncology, and radiation oncology, as well as pathology and radiology to really understand what type of cancer the patient has, how extensive it is, meaning what is the stage of the cancer, what are our goals of treatment, and what is the best way to kind of treat this cancer based on clinical trial data, and based on the NCCN guidelines. 
I certainly don't expect you guys to walk away from this episode with an idea of how all the different cancers are treated or anything like that because that's that's a lot of info and you know there's entire residencies and fellowships dedicated to that but what I would like to do is kind of give you a sense of the actual day-to-day logistics so that if you do encounter a patient who's going to get radiation um, you know you kind of have an idea of, of what we're thinking about so one thing you should know radiation is measured in units called gray spelled g-r-a-y one gray is a joule per kilogram and that's just how we quantify how much radiation we're delivering just like chemotherapy is broken up into several cycles so that we can build up to a particular dose over time while allowing the body to heal in between cycles radiation is similarly divided into fractions so that we can safely build up to that target dose over time while allowing our body to heal in between these fractions. Now, fractions of radiation are usually given daily, Monday through Friday. So chemotherapy cycles usually have a few weeks in between them. Radiation treatment, the fractions are usually given daily, Monday through Friday. Patients have a full day in between treatments, and then they get their weekends off to kind of allow time for their normal tissue to heal in between treatments. Depending on the disease site, the total number of fractions might vary. Um, For example, with breast cancer, we have a lot of different regimens, and treatment may vary from just five treatments Monday through Friday to up to 15 to 20 treatments Monday through Friday. So that's three or four weeks. For prostate cancer, we we might end up treating somewhere from 20 to 28 treatments. And for head and neck cancers, we often go even longer, sometimes using 33 to 35 treatments. All these regimens, they're not just arbitrary numbers. These are based on clinical trials that have been done, and the number of treatments is kind of different for each disease site. The treatments will last typically around 10 minutes each. So patients lay flat on a table, the head of the x-ray machine moves around them, and it delivers radiation from different organs. If the target area is the prostate, for example, the radiation beam will move around and, you know, normal organs that are in the pelvis, such as the bladder, the rectum, the bowel, they will get lower doses of radiation, but the area where all of the beams overlap is actually the target volume. So that'll get the highest dose. Now, conventionally, we have always given only 1.8 gray to 2 gray of radiation per fraction. This is because this was, you know, in, in, an, in an older era, um, our radiation techniques were not very specialized. And so when we delivered radiation, we ended up delivering a lot of dose to a lot of normal volumes in addition to our target volumes. With more modern techniques, though, we're better able to shape the dose and kind of spare the structures that we don't want to treat and just shape the radiation to treat the things that we want to target. And so with more modern techniques, we can more safely do something called hypofractionation, where we deliver slightly higher doses of radiation per day, such as 2.67 gray or 3 gray. And this is what allows us to actually reduce the number of fractions. So in breast cancer, I said that we'll often treat in three or four weeks. It used to be we always treated in five to six weeks. But with hypofractionation, we've been able to cut that down. In some cases, we can also deliver a type of radiation called stereotactic radiation, 
where we deliver an extremely high dose of radiation to a pinpoint area, such as a tiny brain or a tiny lung lesion, typically and anywhere from one to five fractions. This technique is called stereotactic radiation, and it's, you know, it's very, very specialized, and not all centers will always offer it. So with that, with that information, I kind of just wanted to give you an idea of what is a radiation fraction, why do we split up the treatments, and why are there so many different variations for how many days or weeks a radiation treatment could take. It all just depends on the disease site. So if, if a patient finds out that they need radiation for a disease site, you know, you can tell them that usually radiation is Monday through Friday over a period of weeks, um, but you don't necessarily know the details. So I actually, I, I went ahead and polled some of my colleagues who were not in radiation oncology just to get a sense of questions that come up in their lives as they're taking care of patients. And I wanted to kind of answer those for you um, in case this happens, you know, in case you encounter questions like these. So patients will often ask if radiation is invasive or painful and what to expect from the treatments in terms of side effects. So radiation treatment is not invasive. If we're talking about external treatments, you know, they will get some markings on them to help position them every day in the treatment position, but it's certainly not an invasive thing. We don't make any incisions or anything like that. In certain cancers, like gynecologic cancers that I mentioned, where we're using that internal brachytherapy radiation, um, those can be considered somewhat invasive. Like if you're inserting a cylinder or um, a rod-like device into the patient's vagina, that's, you know, in a way invasive. But again, it's not, it's not surgical. Again, if we're talking about external treatments, we're basically just placing patients on a treatment table, a machine will move around them, and they don't feel anything during the treatments. In terms of side effects, so the side effects of radiation in the short term will kind of build up over time. They usually start to happen around two weeks or so after treatment has started, and the side effects always depend on which area we're treating. All patients may experience some level of fatigue, um, but then beyond that, it's all very much local to what we're treating. So if it's in the breast area, they might get skin redness. If it's in the head and neck region, they might get some redness of the skin around the neck. They might also get um, some oral mucositis that can be quite painful and painful with swallowing. Um, if we're treating the prostate, they might get irritative urinary or bowel symptoms. So these short-term side effects are very similar to effects from chemo because like we talked about, the mechanism that radiation is working by is very similar to that of chemotherapy. All these short-term things, you know, they, they start around two weeks into radiation. They continue to get worse as patients go through treatment. And then they only start to heal a week or so after the patient is done with radiation. They will eventually resolve. Um, they usually resolve kind of a month or so after the patient is done with treatment. Um, but then we can also see some long-term side effects. A big thing that happens with radiation is that we get the formation of scar tissue wherever the radiation is targeted. So whether it's in the bowel, the breast tissue, or the muscle, um, you know, there's scar tissue that's forming. So in the bowel, we worry about that scar tissue causing bowel obstruction. In breast tissue, it can cause contraction and lead to cosmetic changes within the breast. In the muscle, it can lead to stiffness um, and hardening of the muscles. 
We also worry about long-term damage to the lung, the heart, the spinal cord. Again, all depending on which area we're treating and how many of those organs are going to see radiation and how much radiation they're going to see. The acute changes, you know, we talked about the timeline of those. The long-term changes, however, occur on the order of several months to years after radiation, and these changes can be more permanent. So we really try to minimize the risk of long-term side effects um, as much as possible by using a lot of special techniques to minimize the radiation dose to normal organs. Before patients come down to our department for radiation treatments, you might hear them getting something called a simulation scan. So this is a CT scan that we obtain in our department, and that CT scan is used to create a customized plan to our patient's anatomy. We often obtain the CT scan in a position that will minimize treatment to different organs, and um, we also try to account for things that might cause day-to-day changes in their setup. Because every day that we have these patients on the treatment table and we're turning on the machine, we want their body to look as consistent as possible from day to day. So that might mean if we're treating a breast cancer, we ask them to lift their arms up and turn their chin to the opposite side so that it's out of the way. If we're treating something in the pelvis, we might give them instructions on whether or not to drink water before treatment so that their bladder is full or not full consistently from day to day. So these are things that we think about in the simulation scan. And then once that scan is done, it takes us a little bit of time to plan the radiation treatments, and then they can start coming in for radiation. One thing that patients often wonder is, are they going to be radioactive? Are they allowed to be near pregnant women or children? And, you know, the answer largely is no. So if the patients are getting external radiation using something like x-rays, protons, or electrons, they are not at all radioactive following their treatment. As soon as they leave that treatment room, it's totally fine for them to be near babies or pregnant women or near breastfeeding women. There's absolutely no radioactivity once they leave that treatment room. There are some unique types of radiation that do leave patients slightly radioactive, So some examples of these are eye plaques that are used to treat uveal melanoma. Um, You might hear of seed implants used to treat prostate cancer or some radiopharmaceutical drugs such as Zofigo or Plovicto, which are radioactive materials that are actually injected through an IV. In these cases, the patients will actually receive specific education from their radiation oncologist about what precautions to take. Um, And in these cases, they might be radioactive. But if patients are, um, you know, getting radiation from, you know, from an x-ray treatment or something like that, then they're not going to be radioactive. So that is quite a lot of information about radiation oncology. Um, But these are some things that I wish I had known as a medical student um, and things that I often wish other providers know or new, um, you know, as as I'm interacting with them on a day-to-day basis in the hospital. So if you're still listening, first of all, thank you. Um, And that also indicates to me that you may be even be interested in learning a little bit about radiation oncology as a specialty. And so what I'd like to do now is to just take the last several minutes to kind of talk about radiation oncology as a specialty. A day in the life of a radiation oncologist, and I may be somewhat biased on this, but it's actually very, very cool. 
we work so closely with patients and um, whenever we're working them up, we look at their pathology, their imaging, all of their staging workup. And, you know, we also work with a team of um, surgical and medical oncologists to kind of decide whether or not we have a role in curing or palliating their cancer. Um, it's a very, very much collaborative field. As I mentioned, there are tumor boards where we, you know, spend a lot of time debating interesting cases and figuring out what is the best way to treat this patient's cancer. Um, in consult appointments, we spend a lot of time talking to patients, getting a really good history, and kind of explaining to them what to expect from radiation. And after we see that consult, we have a huge role in their treatment planning, um, and we get to see them a lot beyond that. So I talked a little bit before about that simulation process where we actually put them in the treatment position and get a CT scan. Um, it's very interesting to think about considerations and what you might want to hold still during treatment, things that are within the body that can cause movement from day to day. Um, you know, it's a lot of critical thinking and kind of problem solving on the fly to figure out how to best simulate these patients and what position will be most comfortable and reproducible to treat them. From there, we use the planning CT scan to actually contour. Um, and contouring is the process of drawing out all of the target areas that we want to treat, as well as all the organs that we want to protect and minimize the radiation dose to. After we're done contouring, um, we work with a team of dosimetrists and physicists to kind of create a customized treatment plan that's specific to each patient's anatomy. Um, when we review the radiation plans, we're actually looking at how the beam, how the machine is physically delivering the radiation and how the beams are arranged, what other organs they're cutting through, what level of dose the normal organs are getting. Um, and it in involves a lot of technical aspects and a lot of technology. Um, one of my favorite attendings describes it as playing a video game, and it really is. You know, you're, you're kind of solving a puzzle on the fly. Once the patient's plan is, um, you know, formalized and, and ready to go, they start coming in for treatment. And while they do, that's very interesting too, because, you know, every day the therapist will usually acquire some kind of image to make sure that they're setting up well on the machine, whether it's a simple x-ray or whether it's a CT scan. Um, and when they get these images, we look at those every day, and then we actually see the patient face-to-face -face once a week and we kind of manage any side effects that they might have. So we actually end up forming a really strong bond with them as we see them through treatment. And then when they're done with treatment, we see them in follow-up. And, you know, we get to see them months, hopefully years out in follow-up and, and really get to build that strong relationship over time. If you end up going into a field such as brachytherapy, there's actually a lot of procedures involved as well. Um, sometimes these are done outpatient in the clinic, and sometimes they're actually performed in the operating room with the help of surgeons. Um, and so there's a lot of room for procedures if that's what you're interested in. But if you're not too much of a procedural person, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for you in Radonc as well. So my point is that Radonc is a super interesting, versatile, rapidly evolving field. Um, if you're interested in pursuing it, I think that your job can be very clinical with a focus on seeing patients. Um, it can be procedural if that's what you want it to be. Or you can even go the academic route and work as a physician scientist doing translational or clinical research. 
So if I have piqued your interest with this episode, I highly, highly recommend scoping out the radiation oncology department at your institution. Remember, they're probably in the basement, um, but I'm sure that they would love to have you join them for a day or two um, or even a full rotation. Um, Whether you want to shadow them, do a rotation, or even try to get involved with some research projects, um, you know, I think it's a good way to decide if this career is for you um, to just kind of get get a little bit of hands-on exposure to it. So one thing I want to address, you may or may not be aware that there has been some concern um, and declining interest in radiation oncology just due to concerns about the job market. Um, but I will tell you, everything goes in phases. And from what I have seen, the job market is actually once again on an upward swing. Um, all of my peers in radiation oncology, the people that have graduated in the years before me, have been perfectly fine. They've been able to find a desirable job in the cities that they want and been able to work without any problem. Um, You know, also for medical students, on one hand, yes, there has been a decline in applications due to lack of interest, maybe. But it's actually great if you're a med student right now, because if you're interested in this field, it's a great time to apply. Um, I think it's you know, essentially a buyer's market. And if you show a strong interest in the field from the outset, I think that you're highly likely to match into a desirable competitive residency program. So I'm not sure why the declining interest in applying in the last couple of years, but honestly, if you're a med student, I would use this to your advantage and get into a very highly ranked program um, of your choice. So I would just like to conclude by saying that this is a fantastic specialty. You truly get to take care of some of the best patients. You get to use cutting-edge technologies, and you have an extremely fulfilling career. So if you're interested, I would encourage you to check it out, and you're always welcome to reach out to me if you'd like to learn more about it. So thank you guys so much for listening. I know that this episode was kind of unconventional compared to what we normally do, But I truly hope that you enjoyed it and that you gained something from it. If you listen to the episode and, um, you know, kind of try to understand exactly what radiation is and what we're trying to do, I promise that this will help you to talk to patients about radiation no matter which specialty you pursue. So I look forward to sharing more episodes hosted by medical students with more USMLE level reviews as they come in. Um, And again, I'm kind of leaving it up to you guys because at this point, I think you third and fourth year med students have a lot more to offer in that regard than I do. Um, But if you're interested in hosting, you know, this is an open platform. We encourage more students to join. All you have to do is reach out to us at www.spoonfulofsugar.org through the contact page. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck, you guys, with studying. Uh, Remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. 